Welcome to The Third Wheel. We are continuing our reading of The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Today, we are going to be talking about chapters 15 through 23. I'm Jesse. I'm Tyler. And I'm Beyond. Hey, we're all here, and we've all read these chapters. That's true, with lots of time to spare. Yeah. Hey, I read them all today, too. Oh, well, listen, some of us didn't procrastinate. Some of us read them so long ago, we don't even remember what happened. See, it's very fresh in my head. Some might say that's worse. Maybe. I am so fresh, it is fresh out of the brain. I'm sure that'll come across. So, so not a ton actually occurs in this section of chapters. A lot of this is just setting up the logic of why things are going down the way they are and what we can expect going forward, but not much actually happens. So I don't expect there to be too much intensity in the discussion. You know what I should probably do so that I can immediately make you wrong? is actually pull out my notes, because I know I made quite a few. I mean, there's plenty to talk about. It's just that uh, not a ton changes. It's more character development enrichment rather than plot points. Yeah, it's character development, it's development of the logic of the world, and where people's storylines are going. I do not like the animals or the plants of this world. The lurge or whatever, like an oozing frog spider. Oh, as in they make you uncomfortable, not like you have a problem with the world building? Uh, Yeah, they just make me uncomfortable. Or like having everything grow in melons, and if you don't check the (laughs) slugs, you'll open the melon to have slug nasty. Gotta survive them high storms. So, chapter 15 is called The Decoy, and that's actually referring to Sedaeus. Huh. Whoa. So, a lot of this chapter is dedicated to sort of explaining how the combination of the geography of the Shattered Plains and a Lethe culture combined to turn a legitimate war of vengeance into a, uh, quagmire, one might say. A protracted siege slash feast slash literal leaderboard. I don't know that it's in chapter 23. It might be, uh, no, it's, it'll be in the next section. But there's like, when you said a leaderboard, I thought you meant metaphorically. There's like a physical leaderboard that exists and is updated in real time. That's in the next section. But yeah, essentially the Alethi culture is so obsessed with competition and was unite. They used to be 10 separate princedoms that Gavilar had only just united through a brutal war and he then immediately died. So they're not a super unified kingdom. So when they're all together in this place and find out that there's plausible reason to go after these very valuable gems while still looking like they're fulfilling the cultural expectations of vengeance and combat, they're just going to stick around forever. Gotta get the cash, gotta get the dough, gotta get the War is very profitable for those who are already wealthy. Hmm. Feels like a metaphor. Whoa. I wonder what, what region of time Brandon Sanderson was writing this in. Huh. Any? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. 
The rich profit and devour off the suffering of the poor, which they force into wars because of circumstance of the environment. I think it also feels like a pretty on-the-nose Iraq war metaphor. Yeah. Uh, But I don't mind. It's just, it's interesting that Brandon Sanderson has thought through, like, he knows he wants this war to be acting a certain way, and he has put it together in such a way that I buy it and I don't have to question why they're being so stupid about it. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I outlined it pretty well. You gotta get the cash, and you gotta get the dough. <laughs> yeah, it, it works, and the world building is completely fine. I just don't particularly love reading politics things. Well, so. luckily, Brando doesn't get too far up his own ass with politics writing. There's a little, but it's not like George R. R. Martin. Yeah, like, politics are a mess enough in real life. When I'm reading fantasy, I'm trying to read it to escape mm-hmm. the, the, the clutches of a dystopic society, not, not just roll around in the mud of another one. But real-world politics barely ever contains swords, so you can't Good see, thing. but I've leveled up a bit. Good thing this story has absolutely nothing to say about race, so we don't have to think about it. I keep using the word filthy when talking to Bion about it's it. It's eyeball racism. It's yeah. eyeball racism enforced by the caste system. By oh, the cats here. Did you say cats system? Cast. C A S T E. I'm pretty sure you said cats system because it summoned my cat. There's too many cats. They're enforcing the racism. If somebody ever tries to be friends with a dark eyes, the cats come down. No. So the first real development in this chapter is we learn that Dalinar cannot remember his dead wife. Which is bad. Yeah. This isn't a metaphor, by the way. This is... Like, the knowledge has literally been scooped out. Is this trauma or magic or magic trauma? It's probably magic trauma. Magic trauma, yeah. Whenever anyone says her name, it's just, like, static in his mind, and it just all melts away. He can't remember her. Oof. So, that's something to keep track of with what we know about him. Great. Also, I don't know where this exists in the course of the chapter, but the body of the... Gosh, I forget what it's called. The big ol' crab thing that they killed... Like, I forget. Great shell. Yes. The body is, like, hemorrhaging spren as they're harvesting it. Mm-hmm. Which is, it, the plot thickens as to what is up with spren. That one, I don't even really know. I can't tell ya. Are they inside us, like, magical microbes? Inside spren? You know? <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of thinking them as just, like, magic microbes still. Well, that's one way to think of it. Because they're everywhere at all times. Yeah, they just manifest when stuff is happening. So it could be inside you, because you are part of everything. How do you keep yours? Mine like to roam free, so mine's like an indoor-outdoor spren. I like to keep my microbes inside of me. So the framing of this chapter is Dalinar and Adolin walking around the camp after the hunt, and both of them just sort of fuming about how stupid everyone is, uh, but in different ways. I mean, that's, like, baseline behavior for me, so I don't see what the problem is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Dalinar goes to talk to Sedeus and Elokar, and Elokar and Sedeus are total shit heels to him. Yeah, uh, Sedeus, you love to hate him. <laughs> Every time Sedeus is on screen, I'm like, this guy sucks, I don't like him, I wish he was gone, play the Dr. Phil gif. This chapter tries to make him a bit more sympathetic, but he just sucks so much. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm on more on Dalinar's side than Adeline's side of like, yeah, Sedeus sucks, but at least he's not evil. He's just, like, he just hates the point of view characters specifically, but he's not going to do something wrong just to, like, destroy the army because he might make an extra 10 bucks. It's interesting to keep track in this book of where Adolin and Dalinar differ, because essentially Dalinar is sort of a prototypical good person at this point, but Adolin is also a good person who is completely bought into Alethi ideals. So Yeah, Adolin comes off much more as almost like a shonen hero. <laughs> yeah, he values combat and proving himself and dueling and if you're mean to him it means that you're evil yeah so like adolin is good he's just a little misguided whereas dalinar is just like paragon but no one understands him misunderstood paragon so we get a little bit of discussion about what gavilar's dying message was to dalinar which is that you must find the most important words a man can say, which is a quote from the ancient text, The Way of Kings. I have it highlighted. They said it. They said the words. I mean, not the the words. Yeah. You don't even know what the words are. Are they radiant? Tyler's been spoiled. No, one of the books is called Words of Radiance. Oh, never mind. Tyler hasn't been spoiled. (laughs) I assume that the word isn't just repeating radiant 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 over and over again you would think anyways dalinar essentially says that the way of kings would have a problem with sedeus's use of the bridge crews which you know sort of seems like basic human decency but we're way past that yeah i was explaining to Bion earlier that like the reason the bridge crews are so effective is because they're expendable you just kind of push them in front and then eventually you win yeah, if you protected them, then the Parshendi would spend their effort on killing your actually valuable soldiers. Yeah. I think that's partially explained in this section as well. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense if you're dehumanizing the people to value the individuals you actually see as people. Mm-hmm. And to get rid of the expendable ones. It just, it just reflects a lot about their society. Wow. We live in a society. This really says a lot about our society. It really the cultural does, significance. I mean, I think the math works out of like, it is more cost effective to buy slaves and get more gem hearts than it is to protect the bridge crews, have them get there slower, and maybe have maybe lose the gem hearts or maybe have soldiers die and have to train new ones. Makes total sense, if you're a dickhead. If you're just looking at the numbers on a page. So while they're all talking, Wit shows up. And I just enjoy Wit. I enjoy the ominous jester trope. He's so clearly evil. Really? I mean, not evil, but like, yeah, I guess ominous, like you said. 
Bion, how are you feeling about wit? I mean, that's kind of the role of the gesture. They said that things that other people couldn't say, and they're very pointed remarks that reflect on people's characters and what they're doing. I think it always a, seems to know stuff. Yeah, it's it's a nice change from all the other people listening to them. He's someone entertaining to read, mm-hmm. as opposed to something I'm just reading because I have to. He's There's just some, uh, a sassy, smart person who foretells some big oofs in the future. <laughs> That's a way to think of it. Uh, he does some pretty classical Shakespearean gesturing later in the section that I enjoy. So. Adolin is trying to figure out if uh, Elokar's saddle strap had been actually cut, and Elokar is absolutely sure that someone is trying to assassinate him in the most roundabout way possible. God, I love this subplot. It's so interesting. <laughs> Can't get enough. Yeah, this one is gonna... You're gonna hear a lot about cut saddle leather, and it's not that interesting, but so gotta I- keep track of it. This subplot is straight out of a Robert Jordan book. <laughs> it's just like, you're a king, of course people are trying to assassinate you. Um, so we get a bit of a moment where Dalinar tries to illustrate to Adolin why they still need Sadeus when he and Sadeus double-team this lower high prince. But Adolin still doesn't really buy it. And after that, we get an actual rundown of the last pillar of Dalinar's personality, which is the Alethi Code of War. I feel like I was already... I don't know. Oh, yeah, I think I do have something in here highlighted. It's about how dark eyes are above light eyes. That's, um... In a vision later. Okay. Well, no, um... It's that Sadeus is disgusted by Dalinar's reading of The Way of Kings because of a common misconception about the way of kings that says that light eyes should serve dark eyes when the book is really just saying that kings should serve their people yes i remember now thank you so it's just sort of saying that like just the idea that leaders should serve their people is repugnant to sadeus and alethi culture is just great sadeus seems like quite the guy the codes are something distinct from the way of kings the codes are like six rules about how to behave during wartime that used to be part of Alethi culture, but only Dalinar really listens to anymore. Because they're no fun. They are no fun. But he's listening to them because right before his brother died, for the months leading up to his death, Gavilar was becoming more and more obsessed with the Way of Kings and the Alethi Codes of War. And because of Gavilar's dying message, Dalinar believes that there is something there that he needs to learn. I'm sure we'll find out more. (laughs) So we get a bit of a snippet where Dalinar says that he implicitly trusts Sadeus because of Sadeus' role in the plan to protect to protect Gavilar on the day he was killed. Because while Dalinar was literally comatose drunk, Sadeus was putting his life on the line to protect his brother. Sadeus is a real hero. Yeah, what a hero, that Sadeus. What a guy. That Toral Sadeus. Listen. His name's Toral. Wow, what a villain. Do you have anything else for this chapter? I don't actually have much more highlighted. No, but it sounds like the cat system is here to 
to enforce the Light Eyes Dark Eyes division. So there isn't a ton of through-line plot in that chapter, so we pretty much covered the important points. Sick. Sometimes that happens. Uh, chapter 16 is called Cocoons. Icky. Uh, this is another Kaladin flashback chapter. Mm, delicious cocoons. This one I actually kind of enjoy, though. Is this the one where he gets beat up by another kid? Yeah. Yes. Nice. Um, but before that, he is hanging out with his brother, Tien, and his childhood girlfriend, uh, Laurel. They're just friends. There's no reason she wants him to get a shard blade and become a light eyes. Not Nothing like that would make it okay for them to get married. No. Nothing at all like that. I think I was texting you about this as I was reading it. She literally gives him the baka kind of thing about yeah. it. So in this chapter we establish, uh, he talks about that sometimes Kaladin gets strange bouts of melancholy that smother him when he isn't expecting. Wow, uh, weird. What could that be? Yeah, so I like that this is sort of the establishing that Kaladin has depressive tendencies even beyond when he's a slave locked in a death sentence. Kaladin depressed, lol. At this point, you could see his depressive tendencies before, but this chapter sort of shows that it's not just because he's in a terrible, terrible position. Yes, which is, like, actually good to know it retroactively continues to make me feel better and better about Kaladin. Yeah, there's a reason he's like this. As in, there's a reason he's written the way he's written. It's been thought out. He's depressed all his life. Yeah. Precious friend, just here to ruin your day. Whoa. So, mental health icon Kaladin coming in hot. Kaladin's like, I can't find any mental health spren. I've looked (laughs) everywhere. 30-day free trial of being okay. Where's the link? Where's the referral code? So, uh, we get a bit of screen time for Kaladin's brother, Tien, who also seems a bit strange. Very excited about rocks. And cocoons. I said delicious cocoons earlier. Delicious, delicious cocoons. It's like and a frog, but has spider abilities, but it has hands with which to weave its web. And they're sort of like salamanders that make webs. Ew. But all of Tien's cute interests make Kaladin happy, even when he's uh, in a depressive episode. He's like, mm, my sweet, sweet brother torturing these animals. Torturing. Uh, bothering, at least. (laughs) That's more fair. It's just like the innocent cruelty that kids do. But it shows that for those that he's... Didn't even hurt this animal. Just sort of, you know, waking it up from its nap. Just bothered it. Distressed. Um, so down the hill, uh, Kaladin and Laurel see some of the farmer boys that aren't working. They're just sort of hanging out, and that's sort of weird. Kaladin makes a faux pas by saying, why aren't you working? Which, I like the details that even though Kaladin works just as hard as they do, the perception of him is that he's sort of like a man of leisure. They distinguish themselves as real dark eyes as opposed to him. Yeah, I don't have much specific to say about this, except that this interaction is very 
it feels very well thought out. What are you thinking about? Just that it, I mean, yeah. It Cal's feels first time, like, physically fighting someone and mm-hmm. the elation he feels with a... Well, I was just... I meant even the conversation. Like, it feels mm. like these kids... Yeah, I don't know. This feels like what a uh, Wheel of Time chapter would be if we had gotten one that was, like, a flashback to just a random day in the life of the two rivers. Like Definitely. It's... If It feels like a believable group of preteens talking about life and, and getting mad at each other. Yeah, and being garbage preteens. Um, so essentially... One of the kids tells a story that his father once told him about having a shard blade stolen from him in battle. And essentially, it's like, my dad works at Nintendo. No, he doesn't. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) my dad works at double Nintendo. (laughs) There's no such thing as Nintendo. Sorry, kid. We're in a fantasy, but not that great a fantasy. So Kaladin gets into a stick fight with this kid where Kaladin gets beat up, but he makes a good show of it and he seems to have some natural talents. Yeah, I mean, he still loses, but yeah, he's just like beating this kid. I like that they go back and forth on the like, oh no, did I really hurt him? And then the other one gets up and starts hitting harder. Yeah, that's that's something to note is that we get a chapter later of Kaladin successfully operating on someone and not freezing. Mm-hmm. But in this chapter, he freezes at the sight that he has, like, whacked this kid's fingers. Yeah. So, just something to note about Kaladin's temperament at this point. He's, he's still a needs, soft boy. Yeah, he still needs that beat out of him. He's a very soft boy. So, when Kaladin gets home... His father tells him that Laurel's father, the uh, lord of the town, has died and has left Kaladin's father a small fortune in spheres to pay for Kaladin's education as a surgeon. What a good guy. Yeah. I mean, it is. What is? A good thing to do. Yeah. Education is important. And just because some little kid wants to go die as a soldier doesn't mean you should automatically let them do it. Let's just say it's more complicated. I'm assuming that this... Yeah. And I'm sure there's power dynamics in it, and he can't refuse it now because it was a lord, and there's some sentence about it. If your lord demands you to do it, you do it. Your lordship, your lightness. People aren't going to be happy about this. Well, I'm sure we'll hear all about it as we go on. So chapter 17 is called A Bloody Red Sunset. I have a few notes here. Yeah, anything to start out with? Because we start with Kaladin in an apothecary shop in Sadeus's war camp trying to buy medical supplies. Uh, no. The first one that I have is about this guy who doesn't do anything wrong. What, the uh, apothecary or Moash? No, I think his name's Mo... Moash? Mo... Moash. Moash, yeah. It says here in my note that he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, is there anything that came up in this chapter about that? No, I accept that every time that I have heard the name Moash, it's been in the context of somebody, like, sarcastically saying that he did nothing wrong. And then when I said it to you off air, you started, like, frothing at the mouth to tell me how much he did wrong. Let me say, Moash definitely has done something wrong. Not at this point, but he will. In the future... In future tense, Moash does something wrong. 
Sorry, Bjorn, you've been spoiled by proxy by Tyler being spoiled. Oh no, I've been spoiled. Bjorn doesn't care about spoilers. Correct. So Kaladin is buying a bunch of medical supplies from this apothecary because the military surgeons won't give any supplies to Bridgman. Yeah, because why would you want to spend money on Bridgman? Um, we get a bit of a conversation between Syl and Kaladin about individuality. Um, Syl describes people as discord, and that animals act alike, and Spren act alike, but people don't act alike. But, and that's why she's unsettled, that she is starting to act unlike other Spren. Yeah, it's it continues to build the Syl is clearly not just a normal Spren. There's something strange I mean, in the neighborhood. Kaladin's connection to her could just be making her more human-like. The the spheres, when he has them, keep becoming more dull and burnt mm-hmm. out. To what yes. extent is it Gaz just giving him useless ones, or still leeching off that energy? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, that's a that's a astute observation. Yes, uh, the. The spheres that Gaz is giving Kaladin keep going done quicker than they should be. Yeah, uh, which, that's a big old thinking emoji. Yeah, so Gaz is either cheating him, which wouldn't surprise. Kaladin himself is somehow leeching it because he's magical protagonist. Or Sills getting an extra boost from the Stormlight to become an individual. Yeah, I... Good good catch. I didn't want to bring it up myself, but yes. I had also written it down, and yeah, it's one of the, like, I feel confident that I have enough of a spoiler to give an answer, but I'm also confident that it's not enough for me to give an accurate answer. I think I would confuse the situation by trying to figure out what I know versus what I don't know. Fire away. Uh, well, no. I mean, it's like... Tyler's read further than this section, by the way. Only, like, two or three chapters. Oh, okay. No, this is the part where, like, I went on Reddit and was looking at some art, and somebody didn't do a good spoiler tag. So now Tyler knows who someone is. That's true. So after Kaladin gets done buying his supplies, his bridge crew gets called out on a bridge run. And this chapter sort of is the payoff to... what. At this point, we know what bridge runs and look like. We know what bridge runs look like, and we know what bridgemen act like. And this chapter is sort of a reversal of all of that. So it starts with, instead of resting between chasms with the rest of the bridgemen, Kaladin stands at attention the entire time. Yeah, he's like trying to keep himself ready to go. Yeah. So there's a bit of a parallel with Dalinar's adherence to the codes of war. I wouldn't have thought of it like that, but yes, that's a good point. He keeps, like, professional soldierdom, even in his, like, position as the lowest of the low. Yeah. I'm the lowest of the low. (sighs) Speaking of the explicit tag. The second reversal of what normally happens is that... Kaladin, as bridge leader, normally would get the front of the bridge on the way out, and then on the approach to the Parshendi, he would get the good spot at the back that's less likely to get you killed. Uh-huh. But Kaladin goes out of his way to swap places with someone at the front and take the most dangerous spot in the bridge. Yeah, and I just want to, like, I absolutely love how 
he phrases it. He's like, no, I'm the bridge leader. This is my spot. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you're not honorable you're... enough to be up here. And they're like, dog, you're going to die. He's like, yeah, but that's sick. He says, you're in my spot. I'm bridge leader. It's my privilege to run at the front. Yeah. He's a Chad. But like a leader Chad. Yeah. Like we know how far out of the norm this is for bridgemen and bridge runs that you can see why the stuff might start affecting the people in his bridge crew. Yeah, you can definitely see. I don't remember if it happens by the end of this section or if it's right at the start of the next one, but he does recruit a couple people from his crew yeah. to like help him out with stuff. The yeah. guy by the space he took. Yeah. Uh, yeah, by the end of this section, Rock and Teft are pretty solidly his lieutenants. Yeah. Um, so, on the bridge run, uh, I'm not gonna read a spoiler from this very paragraph. Okay. There's a part where somebody, I hope, it's not the part where somebody dies and, like, gives one of the chapter header quotes. Oh, well, it? there's that. There's something before that. Okay. I didn't so even I mean, know there was a spoiler in there, so don't say it. I wouldn't really call it a spoiler. It's just sort of a detail. Is like it? with Bion talking about the spheres going done quicker than normal. There's just a detail in this bridge approach that would tell you something. I mean, they mention that, like, none of the arrows head for Kaladin, right? Like, literally every arrow is... It's unclear yeah. to me whether it's, like, Tavarin luck that it just so happens that there's a slight breeze of wind and so they all missed or whether they're all being like literally turned aside but they mention that there's like a bunch of arrows that should have hit kaladin but they're all just slightly off after the battle rock says that uh bridge four had considerably fewer casualties than every other bridge crew and that there were a number of arrows that were sort of just above kaladin on the bridge yeah and i think they mentioned that like some of the other bridge crews are mad because they're like why did a bunch of us have to die? Bridge four is the one that's supposed to have all the turnover. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I won't point it out if neither of you. I mean, no, no, no. It, it I mean, seems like he had an energy surge or something. He was thinking of his yep, brother. That's the... <laughs> he was thinking of his yeah. brother and the emotionally charged, and then he suddenly he was like uh -oh. had that same intensity like when yeah. he so first pick up Cal the stick to battle. He's like, yeah, I've been Calvin's... rejuvenated. Kaladin screams his brother's name, and then. As the wall of arrows zipped towards him, Kaladin felt a jolt of energy, a surge of sudden strength, unanticipated and unexplained. Then the arrows landed. And then the Parshendi pause their assault and stare at whatever just happened. Interesting. Yeah. We're all in Kaladin's perspective, so it takes a sec. Like, you need to sort of think about it a second time around to sort of get what's happening there. Understood. See, now you can't shame me for reading it an hour before the thing. I remember the energy surge. The little brother energy surge. Please don't phrase it like that. Ew. Uh, so, that happened. So, the next departure from a usual bridge run is that instead of abandoning their wounded, Kaladin drags aside all of their wounded and begins to treat them. Um, so, one thing that I did like in here just phrasing for what you said mm -hmm. he doesn't pull aside all of the wounded he like pulls aside some of them and then sends people to go and get the rest mm -hmm. and it's an immediate turnover 
from his bridge crew being like, what are you doing? Why are you like this? Into, okay, yeah, you went and saved some. I guess we'll go and save some. Yeah. This isn't like a permanent turnover of the temperament of his whole bridge crew, but it's at least a turning point for some. Yeah, because like as soon as they, spoiler for this section, as soon as they get back to camp, they go right back to, no, you. who cares? Like, stop yeah, talking they, to me. They realize that the wounded people they save are going to be killed by institutional pettiness yeah. anyways and lose all faith in what just happened. Yeah. Um, so during, so while Kaladin is trying to drag aside all of the injured people he can still save, he momentarily loses the rest of his strength and then Rock, the Horn Eater, helps him and is real strong. And he calls Kaladin an airsick lowlander. Thanks. Just so you know, you're airsick lowlanders. I'm up in the mountains. I'm not an airsick lowlander. Wait, is this, should I feel offended? You're an airsick lowlander. I guess. You have too much air. How could you possibly understand what's going on? How silly of The me. horn eater's blood is just so much more oxygenated in a I more mean, efficient yeah. way. That's literally canon for the next section. <laughs> so Kaladin does some doctoring heroics and uh, it's said that the bridgemen like look at Kaladin strangely reverently, which as I said, isn't forever, but just this one moment, like... As I said, there's so much in this chapter that we know breaks all of these characters' expectations about how this is supposed to go mm -hmm. and how they're supposed to behave. That any, like, I've talked about before how my pet peeve is spontaneous shows of collective emotion, but this feels completely earned, even if it's a little overly sentimental. It works for me. The cornball actually does it for me in this chapter. I like it. Um, so Kaladin decides that they're going to strap their wounded to the top of their bridge on the way back and bring them home. Oh, uh, sorry. Before we go on, I totally forgot to mention. Um, yeah, so one of the people in here that dies, uh, I think he dies. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. His name is Gadol. Uh, yeah. Gadol spit up blood, coughing. They break the land itself, he hissed, eyes wild. They want it, but in their rage they will destroy it. Like the jealous man burns his rich things rather than let them be taken by his enemies. They come. Like, oh, no thank you. Prophecy spread. <laughs> yeah, so we're seeing that this is just sort of a thing that happens to people that die in this world. They get sort of, they get some otherworldly knowledge and start raving. Yeah. I should have highlighted that. Yeah, so those are the sort of barks that we got at in during the first section. Mm -hmm. Hmm? Nothing, sorry. Talking to myself. <laughs> so chapter 18 is called High Prince of War. Don't have a ton to say about this chapter. It's a little fillery. I have no notes. Yeah. Dalinar tries to do politics, but he's not exactly the greatest at them. Yeah. As, most of this chapter is a discussion between... Dalinar and Elokar, where we sort of rehash how badly the Alethi tactics are are working out in this protracted war. Um, yeah, it's like, if Dalinar weren't telling us, I thought it would work and it's clearly not, I would assume that somebody did it bad on purpose. Yeah, which is important. Like, 
a lot of this is just extending the logic of why these characters are acting the way they're acting. Mm -hmm. Which is important. Brandon Sanderson definitely puts his thought into this stuff. Yeah. Oh, we also get a short scene of Adolin talking to a priest. Uh where the priest essentially says, I, I I cannot acknowledge your father's visions as true because that would be literal heresy. Yes, they get into the history of why they can't do that, uh, which I really liked, that there was yeah. like some historical event where the priesthood tried to take over. Yes. Uh, and so, it's called the hierocracy. Wow. That literally sounds like a joke I would make that isn't funny. Where you just, like, smash words together until nobody laughs anymore. Uh, because during the hierocracy, hierocracy, the priests started fabricating visions of the future and visions from the Almighty to control the public. And since it came to light that that was all fake, any claims to be talking to the Almighty or seeing the future are highly frowned upon. Yeah. So don't... Isekai into this world, no SIOCs allowed here. I don't know all those. That's fanfic talk for... I mean, I know Isekai, I don't know SIOC. Self-insert OC, it's where you, like, you as yourself or a character that is you goes into the story, but you already know how the story ends, so you're trying to manipulate it to get the good ending. Uh, it's the thing yeah, of, like... Here. It's the thing of, like... At the end of Naruto, Team 7 goes back in time, and they already know that they have to go kill Orochimaru first thing. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so Elokar, in the discussion between Dalinar and Elokar, Elokar continues to be a shitty child. Uh, Has I mean, to be handled carefully to not hurt his feelings. His fifis. Yes. Yes. Um, and Dalinar sort of fields the idea that this war can't go on much longer he initially couches it as possibly leaving but elokar reacts so badly to that he reframes it as taking a more aggressive stance to end the war once and for all yeah i the way that he phrases it he's there's definitely some amount of like we need to just not be doing this anymore uh, but yeah, it definitely, it changes throughout the conversation from we got a piece out to like, maybe we should just win and then go home instead of hoping that it will eventually become a small loss of life. Mm -hmm. We should just do it and be done because this isn't what's important. Yeah, that is Dalinar's concession to his patriarchy. He has some toxic masculinity going. Or Elokar's Elokar toxic masculinity is forcing Dalinar to couch his desire for peace in a thirst for war. Alethi culture is so fun. Keeps. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So Dalinar asks to be named the High Prince of War and to unite all of the princedoms together on a campaign into the shattered plains and gavilar is actually sort of smart for once and is like i don't think people are gonna buy it i you think you mean show me elokar it's <laughs> like you need to show me that someone will listen to you before i give you this title yeah which is actually pretty reasonable so on his way out of elokar's war palace 
uh, a, there is a high storm coming that is earlier than predicted, which means that Dalinar is about to get a spooky vision. And it is, in fact, quite spooky. Big spooks. He's going ha- to have a spooky vision right in front of all of his soldiers, which he hasn't done before. He's just going to whip out his spooky vision right in front of everybody, <laughs> wave it around where they can see it. Scream it out loud. In an old language. We'll get to that. Um, so as Dalinar passes out, we go into chapter 19, which is called Starfalls, which is Dalinar's vision of the past. With a female shardbearer. Yes. There's a lot of little nuggets in this chapter. Uh, so Dalinar essentially zaps into the mind and body of a of a different person. Heb. And everyone's... Yes, Heb is his name. And everyone sees him as that person, but he's him. So he's not just, like, riding around in someone else's body. It's him acting as someone else. Yeah. And Dalinar describes this as, as usual. <laughs> you know, hashtag casual. Um, yeah, there's... I have a bunch of notes for in here. One of them is definitely going to be something we explore when we go back through and read all of the chapter headers. I have all sorts of stuff that's just, like, what is what is happening? There's so much information in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Like, for me, it's sort of hard to parse what's new information in this chapter and what isn't new information in this chapter. So I'm sort of relying on you guys. Sure. Because... If I do it, I'm going to miss some things that I think are obvious and already part of the story that are actually, like, new revelations in this chapter. Mm. So if there's anything that stuck out to you, please let me know. Also, do that with every chapter. The fighting <laughs> styles were different. Wow. Yeah, well, well, what I mean, sort of stuck out to you? That's kind of, that. that's a big obvious, like, he's in the past and the, the sword styles and also the approach, him being a person without shard plate still going into battle is unusual. Mm. Um, the, the way they talk about doing the work of fighting, the watching of the flock, mm-hmm. um, the description of a city that still exists now, but a slightly different name. Oh, uh, Alethala? Yeah. So that's not a city, that's um the nation of Alethkar today uh, is the same region that was Alethala. And then also that the Shattered Plains is the location of the people. Yeah, the city of Urithiru is might be what you're thinking of, and that's where they tell Dalinar to come, to come be a Radiant, and it's also used to be possibly somewhere around the Shattered Plains. Um, there's, we'll get to it, but there's a lot of good information. Yeah, let's just take it from the beginning, I guess. Um, so Dalinar is essentially, he is protecting a young girl, and he is being hunted by these creatures made of darkness. Yeah, there are these, like, chittering insect creatures. Yeah. Uh, I think they're called, what, like Midnight Shades or something? Something like that. I don't like actually that. remember. They're, they are expressly not Voidbringers. No, because he mentions that later and they're like, ha ha, silly person. You'd be yeah. dead. So Dalinar finds his past self wife and begins to protect them with a fireplace poker. 
My past wife, future wife, wife, lady, wife. <laughs> I can't remember my other wife, so gotta be honorable to this one. Yeah. Uh, so there's a pretty protracted fight scene of him fighting off these creatures with a fireplace poker and them running to the river. Mm-hmm. Um, he asks his wife if attacks by these creatures are common, and she says that maybe during the desolations they were, but she's never seen them. But then they also mention later that, like, desolations are still occurring. Mm-hmm. There's all so sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, so we're trying to get a fix on when exactly this is. Yeah, which isn't easy because there's also not an easy fix in our current present timeline of what order everything happened in. So at the river, Dalinar is about to put up a last stand to protect this Rando family when... Rando Sando family, please. (laughs) But instead of dying fighting, these two people drop out of the sky. They're radiance. Yeah. They're radiant. The knight's radiant. Are there words radiant? There's words of radiance, yes. Whoa, crazy stuff. So these two knights radiant just sort of clown on these monsters. And the female one of the pair demonstrates an ability to heal people. Yeah, which she mentions has, like, charge levels that she needs to maintain so that she can use it for other people. Thinking emoji. Yeah. I'm doing a all this mad like... All this magic might be coming from the same place. Hmm. 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 Um, so after Dalinar fights alongside the... fights alongside the Knights Radiant, they offer him a spot as one of them and says to come to Urethru to become a Knight Radiant. Don't come to that other place. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of, like, me trying to keep track of which one is the Radiance and which one is the Heralds and what happened to each one in what order. Yeah. So, Heralds leaving came first. But the Heralds are still around at this point. Are they? I don't think they are. Uh... I don't think they are. Well, I don't know, because they're, like, the history of this world hasn't been revealed to us in such a way, like, did the Heralds leave, and then ten minutes later, all the Knights Radiant were, like, were outskis? It's a few centuries, or maybe even, like, a millennia after the Heralds left, the Radiants had the Recreants. Okay. So, like, uh, the female one says that it is our duty and our privilege to stay vigilant for the desolation. So essentially, there hasn't been one for a long time, but they're expecting one to come again. Yeah. So so my assumption is that this is sometime after the Heralds left and after the last desolation. Not so long that there are still uh, Knights Radiant. Yeah, I'm sure that the timeline will become clearer. The Knights Radiant definitely stuck around for a while after the last desolation and the abandonment of the Heralds. Although they don't think of it as an abandonment by the Heralds. We'll get to it. Okay. They think of the Radiance as abandoning them, but they don't think of the Heralds as abandoning them. They think the Heralds definitively won and then walked away. So after the Knights Radiant walk away, someone starts speaking through Dalinar's past wife and giving him a message through time. Yeah, and there's all sorts of spooky lore in here. Yeah. It's very weird. What's what stuck out to you? Uh, so the guy is talking about 
just repeating, you must unite them, Dalinar is yelling about, like, you've said that before, give me something new, and then uh, Dalinar changes the question when he gets Stonewalled to ask about whether he should trust Sedeus or mm-hmm. Adeline, and the guy's like, don't yes. betray Sedeus, just be cool, and cool will be you. <laughs> unite them. The The main point is unite them, and don't worry about Sedeus. Don't not be cool. <laughs> be- Believe in him. So chapter 20 is called Scarlet. Uh, this chapter is super, super short. Really short. Yeah, uh, I think it's because it's literally the dream that Kaladin is waking up from at the beginning of the next chapter. I don't have any notes for this chapter. It didn't happen. It's where he fails to save a patient, but he does respond well to Like, he, he does the thing he's supposed to. She's, she just ran out of blood. There's limited supply. It's essentially, he did save her, but he didn't save her. But he's wow. taking it as if he just straight didn't save her. Wow. For his age, education level, the crises itself, he did all he could. Yes. And if they had waited for his dad, it wouldn't have helped either, so. Yeah. So this is sort of his traumatic surgeon experience as a child. Understood. Having a patient die on you is hard. Yeah, especially if you're like 13. I would not want to be a surgeon at 13 years old. No. That makes one of us. (laughs) You would? Yeah, dog. You gotta start early. The only, like, time I'm interested in cutting into people is for dissections after. Cadavers, those are fine. Let's get you some cadavers. They're expensive. Great. <laughs> Great. Don't, don't we're, ask. We're getting to the end. So chapter 21 is called Why Men Lie. And this chapter is sort of dealing with the aftermath of Calvin's big day out. <laughs> His big day out. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah. He had a big day. Thanks, Cal. He's real tired. He's all tuckered out. He really is. He um, goes and checks on the wounded, and one of them calls him Sir. Wow. Probably because they never really had access to a doctor, let alone a surgeon-level doctor. And especially since they were prepared to die there because the wounded are left to suffer alone and die. It makes sense that Kaladin is sort of more than a regular dude to them at this point. So Kaladin does his morning workout, and there continues to be some skepticism about him. Mm-hmm. And then Syl has sort of a bit of a conversation with Kaladin about the nature of madness and lying. Um, yeah. Sorry, you can keep talking. I'll cut out the silence. I have a note in here. I'm just trying to understand what I wrote so essentially, Kaladin feels that madness is just someone that doesn't fit in. And then he essentially says, everyone lies. And Syl says, does that make not lying madness? And she has heard that Dalinar never lies, which makes Kaladin angry because Dalinar is just another light eyes. Yes. Who is inherently corrupt. Yes, that's what my note was, was about Kaladin saying, because earlier he had talked about how sick Dalinar was. It's like, this guy's great. Can't get enough of Dalinar. And then now he's just another one of those lying light eyes. Well, I mean, what earlier are you talking about? Didn't he 
before he like wasn't that the idea back when he was in the army in like chapter one was hey we're gonna go hang out with Dalinar back then he wanted to hang out with Sadeus oh well and now that he is he's like this is the worst yeah because Sadeus is technically like the high prince of where he came from got it Damn, Sadeus ain't that cool. Yeah. Which, speaking of which, Kaladin gets some news that Sadeus has ordered the injured soldiers to not get be provided food or pay while they're recovering. So they're just gonna die. Yep. They need a union. <laughs> they're slaves. <laughs> Welcome to the slave union. <laughs> they need to revolt. Yeah, you would think so. But they're crushed down. Until Kaladin so, comes. So Kaladin is pretty discouraged, but he ends up talking to Rock, who says that he will split some of his food with the wounded, because without Kaladin, he would have been dead. But Kaladin says, I was in your place and I didn't die, you'd be fine. But Rock's like, nope, I would have died. Plus Rock can see Syl? Yes, Rock is able to see Spren. It's because he's not a filthy air-contaminated... Yeah, Lowlander. It's because he's breathing right. So apparently this is just something about his people that they are always able to see Spren, the Mafaliki. They don't naturally have shard-based weapons and defense things, but they can see the Spren. Well, no one, no one technically has them naturally. So after getting a bit of help from Rock and saying that Rock will give food and help to the wounded, the next person, Kaladin, tries to recruit is Teft, and Teft is a bit more reticent. He is not giving up his food. Yes. He says that, I've given my loyalty before, too many times now, and it always works out the same. Your trust gets betrayed, Kaladin asks softly. Teft snorted. Storms know. I betray it. You can't depend on me, son. I belong here as a bridgeman. What that a hero. is some nice self-loathing right there. Yeah, seriously. So, just, when you read Teft, remember that this is where he's coming from. Got it. Because we get a lot of Tefts. And this is where he's coming from. Teft is buying into his own anti-hype. Yes. So, because they need supplies to feed and treat the injured, Kaladin hatches a plan that involves, uh taking a undesirable uh, work shift for their crew and gathering something. Gathering all the reeds to get their magical plant juices. Mm, Delicious reed milk. I thought you might like that, Bion. You like fantasy plants. Yeah, those plants I'm okay with. They're the least odious of all the plants that I've described. (laughs) I can accept that. Malodorous plants. (laughs) Malodorous plants. I mean, it, it's it's said that this this reed milk smells nasty, mm. but it's one of the most effective for the price. Delicious reed milk. It's so chapter cool. twelve. Uh, sorry, so chapter- I have one thing that I yes. actually I have two things that I totally missed saying while we were talking about them. Uh, I think do at do the it, very do end do of it. the conversation between Syl and Kaladin, she says, "I don't think men were always this way." She said absently, getting a far-off look in her face. I, like, Nani, what is, the the plot- She's getting some flashes. The plot thickens. I become more and more, like, this is sadly that one 
specific spoiler image I got that, like, I have a pretty solid guess as to what, like... Oh, is she the one that was left behind to suffer? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. You can guess that. That's not what I... I have a pretty solid guess as to what's going on, but it's very much a, like, I could say it in a sentence, but then if you asked any follow-up questions, I would have no <laughs> idea. That's that's the joy of reading fantasy. I guess. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, oh, when Cal is pushing... Uh, not pushing. When he's pitching the idea of everybody splitting their pay so that he can afford medical supplies and food for the injured birdman. Uh, everyone just stares at him, and Moash is the first to laugh. Yes. He has done something wrong. If only twas it. We'll find out. Yeah, Moash is sort of the avatar of the fact that the respect Calvin gained wasn't permanent. Got it. <clears throat> so, chapter 22 is called Eyes, Hands, or Spheres, and it takes place at a real fancy party. Yeah. Like a lake house party kind of thing. Yeah, like a crafted lake house in a desert. Yeah. Bougie. Very bougie. The rich prophet from the suffering of war. Basically. Also, why is my dead brother's wife so hot? We'll get to that. <laughs> the, import- the important thing here is that Wit's here, and he gets some real classical shit. Bjorn was reading some of these out loud. Wit, do you have to? To what, Dalinar? Eyes, hands, or spheres? I'd lend you one of the first, but by definition, a man can only have one eye. And if it is given away, who would wit be then? I'd lend you one of the second, but I fear my simple hands have been digging in the muck far too often to suit one such as you. And if I give you one of my spheres, what would I spend the remaining one on? I'm quite attached to both of my spheres, you see. Oh, well, you can't see. Would you like to? And this is just classic, and I love it. This, okay... This feels like the same kind of humor that Shallan was doing on the boat. The, but better? Well, the difference is that everybody is rolling their eyes, except for Elokar, who sucks, and is like, Wit, why are you like this? Whereas everybody was like, Shallan, you are just... You're the coolest. Oh my god. <laughs> and the change in tone of how people are reacting makes it fine for me. Because it feels like Wit is mocking them by doing it, whereas Shallan is the coolest, and every time Shallan's not on screen, everybody's talking about how cool Shallan is. I just really like that little section. It's like classic Shakespeare Joker stuff. Yeah. And while uh, Wit is making taking pot shots at everyone, he uh, he notices that no- Lady Navani is here. Uh, the old king Gavilar's wife and the mother of Elokar and Yasna. She's and, oh so no, she's hot. hot. <laughs> this whole chapter is, oh no, she's hot. I can't handle how hot my dead brother's wife is. Seems like a tough situation. I mean, I mean, I can't remember my wife, her face, <laughs> anything about her. Sorry, your what? My wife. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh no. My wife. Um, Borat. Uh, Borat reference. Are you, are you, have you been referring to that bit from Bob's Burgers? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the bit is from Bob's Burgers, not from Borat. Thank you. Yeah. 
The joke is that it isn't funny. I lived that that fever dream for two years. Yeah. It's a tough spot to be in. Almost as tough as not being able to believe how hot your dead brother's wife is. <laughs> Just way too hot. Just like this man's food that he eats to get away from her. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I got one last one. My dead brother's wife. Great. Perfect. We're done. Um, uh, note that men and women have separate food. Yeah, what the heck is up with that? Yeah, men have, like, spicy, savory food, and women have sweet food. Neither is balanced. You have to have a mixed variety of foods. This is, like, actually a Robert Jordan plot point I would expect to read in one of <laughs> yeah. the Wheel of Tom books. The sweet food for the delicate women and their delicate flower selves. And then fierce... Elemental fiery food for the masculine men. Yeah, and the least, at least with this, at least with this, it isn't being presented as an elemental part of the universe that men eat spicy, savory food and women eat sweet food. It's literally part of like cultural bullshit. Fair enough. <laughs> like it isn't presented as like just the way things are. It's sort of presented as, huh? That's weird. Yeah. So. Adolin comes to Dalinar and says that Elokar has spilled the beans and told everyone that Dalinar wants out of the war. Yeah, it took like one second for Elokar to just be the worst. Well, I mean, he's always the worst, so... That's fair. And then also does a political play at this thing that puts all the shame and dishonor on Dalinar. Yeah. Elokar really, 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 really sucks. It's like, how dare you not believe the leather was cut? It was cut. And I'm going to throw you under the bus to prove it. Um, uh, one thing I will point out, Dalinar, despite being pretty anti about how like bougie the Alethi culture is, is still uh, reaping the benefits of like, oh, the servants cut off the part of the chicken and spiced it specifically how they know that he likes it. And then delivered it as soon as he sat down. Oh yeah, he bougie. Yeah. He's, yeah. All those dark eyes serving him as they should. <laughs> Woof. So Dalinar finishes his food and he's like, oh no, I'm done eating. That means my dead brother's hot wife can come over and talk to me. And she roasts her son a little. Yes, she sits down just far enough from the table that she isn't breaking any social rules, but close enough that people would be like, huh. And she confides in Dalinar that she's pretty sure her son is a bad king. Yeah. And needs to be protected. You must protect my soft boy. And Dalinar's like, what? I never thought that. My soft mashed potato child. God, he is made out of mashed potatoes. Um, Empty calories. Excuse me? Well, just like mashed potatoes have not very much nutritional value, except all calories. The stuff in the mashed potatoes that give you the good stuff. Anyways. Uh, let me... So, during this conversation, uh, Elokar gets up and makes a statement regarding, I know you were all so worried about the attempt on my life during the hunt. Worry not. Toral Sadeus, High Prince of Information, is on the case. Take that, you worm. I'm not gonna <laughs> let you be Prince of War. I'm gonna have you investigated by the Prince of Intelligence. 
essentially it's all of the shade on Dalinar from Alokar. Yeah, and there's worry from Dalinar and Adolin. I don't remember if it's uh, in this chapter, if they make it explicit or if it's just implied. Uh, but there's definitely worry that, like, now that Sadeus is basically the Inquisition, like, are we going to get screwed over because he's super evil? Is he super evil? That's what Adolin thinks. Adolin is always right. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's evil, he's not. but not necessarily, like, evil in regards to... I don't know that he's evil, just that he's a bad person. But evil <laughs> implies, like, specific intent. He's not like, oh, great, I can't wait to kill more slaves by making them bridgemen. <laughs> he's just, like, he is raised to value person. money and martial prowess. And so those people don't have money and they don't have martial prowess, therefore they don't matter. Except they're bringing me more of those things, so they matter for that, I guess. Do you see evil as being more of an action as opposed to... No, I see evil as being the intent. Hmm. Like, I wonder if that'll be a topic in this series. But people can do great evil by ignorance. But I don't... But that's what I'm saying, is I don't think that that would necessarily be evil. That, like, the action is evil, that doesn't make the person evil? No, because, like, to me, like, evil is the intent. Mm-hmm. Like, Sadeus is not sending the bridgemen out to die constantly. Cackling. So that, yeah, he's not cackling, like, yes, more dead dark eyes. He just wants the money and the power. And the best way to achieve that is to let those people die. But he's not thinking of it in a way where he's like, God, I can't wait for them to die. He's just thinking of it as this is the most expedient way to acquire money and power. But is that not in its own way evil? It's wrong and it's bad, but he's not... Like, I just don't think that that's how the math breaks it down. Yeah, you just don't see him as a fully evil person. He is doing... He's doing something wrong, but he's not, like, sick. Great. Love genocide. Can't get enough. Wake up, first thing I do, genocide. Go to bed, last thing, after I pray to the Almighty, one last little genocide. Then I sleep like a baby. I guess for myself, I see any participation which does such awful things is inherently evil, as opposed to needing to be a cackling, maniacal, using people as tools evil. By perpetuating and exploiting in the way he is, I see that as evil. Both are fair. Jesse says this is a thing in this series. I mean, also, we do learn more about Sadeus later. Sure. This is not the last time Sadeus appears in this series. I'm not surprised. So, chapter 23 is called Many Uses. Anyways, chapter 23 is called Many Uses. It picks up with Kaladin on Rock Patrol. Ha! With rock. Gotta get those rocks. Um, because on the underside of all these rocks are some plants that Kaladin wants to harvest to make antiseptic. And Tuff is like, Anna what? Because no one knows what surgeons are talking about. Anti-rot spren. Anti-decay spren. The rot spren hate it. This one weird trick. (laughs) Does this mean... Does this mean that rot spren should actually be called septic spren? No. No? It's rot. It's rot. Okay. I mean, 
I guess there are two different words for the same thing. It just makes me wonder about also with just like people's education and whatnot if they if they think of spren differently and call spren differently or if it's just the universal titling of spren i mean there are different languages in this world yeah like rock the high the, the high rock the eaters heart yes yes that one so they're collecting these reeds and they come back for them later that night uh and then essentially they just have like a reed milking party. Whoa. <laughs> Speaking of the explicit tag. Hey guys, let's all just uh, sit around in a circle and uh, milk some reeds together, you know? Um, Syl does a thing where she's pranking, but where, where, where she talks about having led a rock to a pile of chul dung, and, it's, and then rock just... Laughs it off. Yeah. Or doesn't even respond. Doesn't even realize that she's trying to do... Something mischievous. He's and like he respects Spren inherently. He's yeah. like, great, I can make Sadeus some more food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get an explanation during the reed party of why uh, Rock the circle milking. Why Rock is in the bridge cruise? Uh, we get a lot of sort of. Uh, it sort of reminds me of Aiel talk, where. Rock is explaining all this stuff about his culture that no one's going to understand. Yeah, and he sounds like it's super obvious. Um, yeah, I, really I do really enjoy that. Where he's like, no, I was related to him, so I was... And of course I was a slave. Yeah, I was his... No, 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 it's not really slavery. It's more like permanent Family. servitude that you can't get out of. I was branch house. He was main house. It happens. And then, yeah, he was a cook, and Sadeus... Poop in Sadeus's food. Yeah, Sadeus allowed him a chance to prove himself so that he wouldn't have to be a slave. And he was like, I know what I'll do. Thanks for killing my cousin. Enjoy this chul dung. And, like, everything that he serves is made out of chul dung. The plate is made out of chul dung. The silverware is chul dung. It was me. He was like, I didn't think you would notice. Yeah. I am made out of chul dung. <laughs> the camera turns back to Sadeus. Sadeus is made out of chul dung. I tricked you. How'd he get so much chul dung? Oh god, He's a I'm big man. Focus. Doctor, I'm such a dung-filled man. One thing, because I think it's very early in this conversation. I didn't realize, but they say every piece, like every, uh, not piece, but like every set of shard plate was something that one of the Knights Radiant had, which, like, yes. makes sense because they can't make it anymore. I guess they just didn't put together that, like, every Knight Radiant had a blade, had a piece, of, or had a set of plate, and, like, that's the only one. Those are the only ones that existed. So, like, yep. literally every single one has a direct line tracing it down from those people. Like, I don't know yep. why that wouldn't have been obvious to me, but in retrospect, it should have been. That is indeed the case. Um, so essentially, they start laughing and having a good time, and Kaladin realizes this is why, this is what's missing. This is why none of the bridgemen are fighting for their lives, because this is what they need to be looking forward to, is like friendship. Aw, so, Aww. wait, 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 is Kaladin the secret shonen protagonist? 
we'll see what this inspires him to do later. Okay. It isn't as, like, it isn't as dumb as it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't imagine it would be. It was just a, like... It essentially just inspires his next course of action for how to make the Bridgman fight for themselves. Understood. Which leads us to the end of the section. We actually had more to talk about than I thought. Not bad, not bad. How you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. I haven't gotten that far ahead in the past week, but I imagine that that will change by the next time that we record. Just sort of based on the course that I expect my life to take by then. Beyond? Yeah, I'm doing fine. <laughs> I think I'm uh, stressing Tyler out with my reading style. And I admit, <laughs> I pushed it real close today. And I, 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 I took an additional 15 minutes than I thought I needed. Yeah, so little peek behind the curtain for the listeners. We began recording at 7... So 7.14 is when I pushed the button to initiate the call. When I came to get the computer all set up at 6.49, I talked to Bion and they were like, yeah, don't worry, I'm about to finish chapter 20. So, like, could not be cutting it closer. In fact, it went past close. Anyways, I'm not going to shame you because I read it all today, too. Fair enough. So, I still haven't figured out where we're going to be reading next time. If I can before we put out this episode, we could splice in me saying what chapters we're going to read. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But we'll read to somewhere. Yeah, we'll be reading more of this book soon. Um, If you want to find us on Twitter, it's at Real Reading. I'll have the link in the description. And if you leave a review on iTunes, it makes it easier for people to find us. And we love hearing from anyone who listens to the podcast. We love hearing from people. And I guess this is where we're going to be signing off. I'm Jesse. I'm Tyler. And I'm Beyond. And thanks, people. Yeah. We'll see you next thanks, time. Thanks, brightnesses. Whoa. He said it. Whoa. You're the only bright eyes here. Am I? We both have very dark eyes. Yeah. You have the lightest hair, and you're the tallest, and you have the lightest eyeballs. 